Good morning, everybody. Thank you. My name's Reese, and if you don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here at Westlake. And today we're back in the book of Mark, and we're following on from last week's passage that Peter uh, opened to us, where the, uh, Jesus was challenging the Pharisees on what was clean and unclean. And today we're going to look at uh, an encounter of Jesus with two people. So there'll be three points this morning. Uh, if you're taking notes, here they are. Hope for the outcast. Number two, it's not what comes, uh, it's not who comes, but how they come. And number three, open your ears, mind, and heart. So the first one, hope for the outcast, a gospel that breaks down barriers. Now there's nothing like a good holiday, is there? Getting away from the hustle and the bustle of work, being able to relax, switching off completely, and having a rest. And last year, Katura and I managed to get away without the children, believe it or not, because her parents were here. So we went to Portugal for our wedding anniversary, and we were there in the sun, enjoying our wedding anniversary, and I get a phone call. I was like, oh, I should have turned my phone off, I know. That's what Katura said as well. <laughs> and, um, but who was it? It was, it was one of the youth. And I thought, oh, that's funny, one of the youth is calling me on my wedding anniversary. Maybe something important's happened or maybe they're gonna wish me a happy anniversary. So I answered it and it was just some mundane questions that they had that I could have answered by email or WhatsApp. So I was like, yeah, thanks guys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unexpected interruptions. Although they didn't have phones 2000 years ago, Jesus couldn't go many places without being bothered. In verse 24, we see that Jesus has gone for a rest. He's escaped from the Jewish areas and headed off to the Gentile area of Tyre and Sidon for some peace and quiet. It's a bit like the, the Costa del Sol of that area. <laughs> you can imagine the holiday advertisement quotes, can't you? When you tire, visit Tyre <laughs> or Sidon. <laughs> so Jesus wants some time with his father and maybe a rest physically too. He doesn't want to be disturbed and he makes that known. But immediately in verse 25, he's interrupted. Jesus just couldn't be hidden. You can't hide the light of the world. There's uh, lots of stories about celebrities being irked about being disturbed uh, on their holidays. But who would, who would dare to approach God's king, God's son, while he's resting? Maybe it'd be the head of a local synagogue. Maybe someone's come to pay respect to him. But no, who barges in to his private place of rest? Well, it's a Gentile woman. You can imagine the scandal in the Jerusalem Times newspaper, a rabbi and a Syrophoenician woman. Now, being Syrophoenician means that she was from Phoenicia when it was part of the Roman province of Syria. And... In Matthew's account of the story, in the Gospel of Matthew, he calls her a Canaanite. So this woman is a Gentile, born and bred. She's a pagan, she's a woman uh, who has a daughter who she cares for, and this daughter has an unclean spirit. So in the eyes of the Jews, she couldn't be more unclean. Now being approached by a foreign woman whilst on holiday is not top of Jesus' priority list. It's a bit like being on a church retreat where we're praying and then someone barges in screaming and shouting. What would we think? What would we do? Yet here she is. She's come to see him in this private setting, falling 
at his feet, begging for his help. Now I imagine everyone else would have expected him to send her away immediately. And in Matthew's account, that's what the disciples tell him to do. But instead he says something to her which we could deem as offensive. Verse 27. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I was once on a, a youth weekend, and my friend was also a youth leader, and he was uh, naming the teams and choosing the teams that we would be on for the whole weekend. So there were four teams, and he named them all after dogs. And he put himself on a team that was named after a big, brave hunting dog, an African hunting dog known as Rhodesian Ridgeback. That was his team. And being my friend, he put me on a team called the Poodles. <laughs> I know. There's lots of different types of dogs, isn't there? Friendly, loyal, silly-looking poodles. But at the end of the day, it's not nice to be called a dog, is it? No offence to uh, Lindley and Sim's dog who's sitting in the front here. You're a cute little dog. You're not a poodle, are you? <laughs> so what is Jesus getting at here using this colloquial language of the time? Well, all the Jews at that time looked down on Gentiles as unclean. The way they washed or didn't wash before meal. The things they ate for their meal. The way they spoke, the things they lived for. The things they held important. And to God's people, the Gentiles were outside the covenants. They saw them as no more than filthy, unclean dogs. And yet we know that Jesus always does the Father's will, doesn't he? And he's always guided by the Holy Spirit. So why use this statement? Well, he wouldn't have used this statement if it would have meant that the woman left distraught thinking that there was no hope for her daughter. Jesus is the perfect teacher, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. By asking this question, Jesus finds out and shows his disciples and us about her heart. She knows that she's unworthy to come before him. But we see in her answer, verse 28, that she has the hope, she has the faith that there's more to God's mercy and love that will overflow from just his people to an outsider like her. That those crumbs will reach her as low as she is under the table. And there's more being said here as well. Jesus never says there's no hope. He says that he's come first to the Jews. Exodus chapter 4 verse 22 tells us Israel is God's firstborn son. Jesus' ministry was to the first. It was first to the, to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies to the Jews and he wants to reflect the purposes of God. But he responds to this woman's faith by crossing the barriers of nationality, religion, gender, tradition, and he answers her prayer, doesn't he? he? He grants healing. He grants freedom from the oppression that this woman's daughter's facing and, and under. Because this is also a later part of his mission. 
I mean, he's always come to rescue the world. The, the Jews were Jesus' strategy to reach the world. We see with his own disciples in Matthew 10, Jesus sends them uh, out among the lost sheep of Israel. Chapter 10 of Matthew. But then in Matthew 28, when Jesus has completed his earthly ministry and mission of dying on the cross, he sends his disciples out to all nations to make disciples of all nations. So this meeting is a glimpse of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham all those years ago. Jesus has come to bring good news for the Gentiles, which means good news for us as well, guys. He's shaking things up. The disciples don't yet understand how inclusive Jesus' kingdom really is. But what is clear with this Gentile woman is that there's no barrier that will stop Jesus. There's no one. There's no one too far outcast or unclean that the gospel cannot save them. And as Christians today, it can be easy for us to put up our own barriers, can't it? We can shun certain people because they're just awkward or they're hard to talk to. Or we know they'll give us answers that we don't want to hear. Or maybe they ask too much of us. But that's not the gospel, is it? That's not living the gospel. Even if we are busy, then we still need to show compassion. We need to be as inclusive as Jesus is. And also be ready for those who are in need of our help, those who come to us like this woman. Be ready for those unexpected interruptions in our lives. Second point then, it's not who comes, but how they come. A savior for anyone who uh, arrives in humble faith, who comes in humble faith. Now I wonder if you've ever done something despite facing barriers and obstacles in your way. Growing up in Wales, uh, we were often told the inspirational story of Mary Jones, Mary Jones, who lived in the 1800s. And when uh, Mary was a child, she became a Christian and she really wanted to have a Welsh Bible for herself. Uh, she was first language Welsh. And the nearest one to where she lived was two miles away at a farm. Imagine getting up for a quiet time and having to go for a jog for two miles first. But buying one would mean that she'd have to save up for six years and she'd have to walk 26 miles then barefoot through the Welsh rugged countryside, not even being sure that there'd be a Bible there to buy when she got there for sale. Yet despite these barriers, the 15-year-old set off on her journey to get what she desired most, God's word a Bible in her own language. And when she arrived in North Wales in Bala, she was sold three Bibles for the price of one. And her story set into motion the founding of a Bible society that still provide Bibles uh, to the world now. So this Syrophoenician woman knows all too well of the barriers in the way between her and Jesus. She's come to Jesus knowing though still that she can trust in him, that he will help her daughter. Think of it through her eyes. Here she is, a Gentile, approaching a respected Jewish teacher. She shouldn't come into his presence. They think of her as a, 
as a dog, a sinful dog, yet she has faith that, that Jesus is more than just the savior of the Jews. Jesus is bigger than that. There are crumbs left over for the Gentiles. Though he's a respected teacher, and she's not, he, he's not even supposed to talk to me or even look at me as a Gentile woman, she comes into his private place of rest because she believes that, that he can give her what she desires most, healing for her daughter, freedom for her daughter. As we've seen, Jesus' response could have seemed really offensive. Jesus isn't afraid to tell it as it is, is he? To teach someone something helpful. He isn't afraid to offend people. The gospel itself is offensive to people. It can be an aroma of death or an aroma of life, can't it? I wonder how often you've been offended and learnt something important from it. Or you've looked back at it later and you've seen something new about yourself. Even when we are rightly offended by something. How we respond to that says a lot about our beliefs and our principles. There was some controversy a few weeks back, wasn't there, about how Will Smith responded at the Oscars when he was offended. When we're offended, it can show up pride or insecurities or an area that we're blind to. It can show or bring out our true character. And here, that's exactly what happens in these verses. This woman is humble in her reply. Listen again to her response. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Her answer shows the faith, how rooted it is. Her humble, persistent faith, which demonstrates an understanding of who Jesus is and what he can do. Jesus is having a day off. He's relaxing. He doesn't want to be disturbed. That's been made clear. And he's also come first for the Jews. Yet the woman does not give up. She hears the hope in those words that he says. And because of her reply, verse 29, it's because of that Jesus provides healing. She's passed Jesus' test. It was genuine faith. And unlike the Pharisees at the beginning of this chapter that we looked at last week, she's answered wisely. She didn't come because she was worthy. And she didn't stay away because she was unworthy. She knew her unworthiness, but she trusted Christ. In the Anglican church, there's a prayer that they say together before they approach the communion table. It's called the prayer of humble access, and I'm just going to read it now. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. 
Amen. When we come to the communion table, we come empty-handed. When we come to the cross, we come empty-handed. We have nothing to offer except our uncleanness, our guilt, and our shame. It's a gift of grace that we can share in the body and blood of Jesus, that we can be washed clean through Jesus' sacrifice. Can you see how this woman's humility and faith have helped Christians throughout the centuries with a, with a prayer like this? It, 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 it's right that none of us deserve the crumbs of God's grace. And yet he lavishly pours it out upon us. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. The bread of life. And he tells us that we won't just be fed a few crumbs, but if we come to him, we'll never be hungry. We don't just receive the crumbs. We get so much more. Have you come to him this morning in humble faith? If someone comes to you with a need... Um, maybe they want an umbrella or a cup of tea or coffee or a coat. You meet their need, don't you? But what when you see a hunger in their lives that's spiritual? When you see someone with that sort of need, do you offer Jesus to them? We're going to move on to uh, the next part of our passage now for our last point. This is open your eyes, mind and heart, a God who can change everything. So in the second part of uh, our passage here, Jesus has now travelled back to the Decapolis, the ten cities. And we, uh, the last time we heard that Jesus was here was back in chapter 5. He was healing the demon-possessed man. So Jesus' power was known about in this area, in these parts. And we meet a man brought by his friends to Jesus. So maybe this was even some of the fruit from Jesus' last visit. So this man is also an outcast. But this time... It's because of his physical disability, verse 32. He's brought to Jesus and he's deaf and he has a speech impediment. And the word used to describe the man's condition is only used twice in the whole Greek Bible. Once in Isaiah 35, verse 5, and then secondly here in Mark. And in chapter 35, the prophet is talking about God's Messiah coming. Verse 5 of uh, of Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy here. He is God's chosen one who's come to open the ears of the deaf. Jesus is the all-powerful Messiah who heals with compassion and with tenderness. And once again, we see Jesus going away from the crowds, verse 33. But this time it's not to have a rest, but instead to treat this matter privately and personally. He knows what's best for this man. He does not want to put on a show. So Jesus gets straight uh, to the individual's needs and he helps them in a way that they can relate to. Jesus spoke to the woman in a way that may seem surprising to us, but she got her request met from a distance and he taught his disciples and others a lot from that and here we see that he gets straight to the man's needs in a way that he can feel jesus heals this deaf man using touch verse 34 and looking up to heaven he sighed 
and said to him, Epphatha, that is, be opened. Jesus looks up to heaven as a sign to the man of where the power is coming from, where the authority is coming from, from God the Father in heaven. And this man is healed. He goes away clean. He goes away restored, no longer cut off from God or from society. When Jesus uses the word epfatha, be opened, it doesn't just talk about the ears, but it, it means the opening of the whole person. And we're all born spiritually deaf. And Jesus points out the importance of hearing in Mark chapter 4, verse 9. He said, though uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he will also challenge the Pharisees again in chapter 8 that we, we can have ears and yet not hear. So our ears need to hear spiritually. We need to have our ears open so our whole bodies can be healed spiritually, so that our whole lives are open to God and his words. But we often have problems with our hearing, don't we? I wonder um, if any of your children or other family members um, have selective hearing. It can be easier to hear there's chocolate cake on the table than it is to hear, can you come and load the dishwasher, isn't it? <laughs> our spiritual hearing can also be in danger of this, of being selective. How well do we listen to God? Do we only hear what we want to hear when we look at scripture or when we sit down and listen to a sermon? Do we hear that God loves you, you're his, your future is secure? But maybe we're not so good at listening to the other parts like having to forgive or that the gospel is for everyone or that we should rebuke in love. We're opened to grow ourselves and to help others. So why not keep your ears open in the potluck later to hear others' needs? I'm not saying go around being nosy, but keep your ears open so that you can show compassion. And as we conclude, as we, as we finish looking at this part of the passage today, let's remember that we can put so many labels on people, but when God came for us, we were all outcasts and now we're part of his family. And if you're not, then God wants to welcome you into that today. There's a, a, a prayer uh, room over there. If you want to come and find out more, please do come and, come and receive some prayer. As we uh, serve him this week, don't forget to have your ears, your hearts and your minds open to God and his words so that he can make us more like Christ this week.